Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, church family. It is great to see you. My name is Barrett Bowden. I'm one of the pastors here at Island Community Church, and I uh, just welcome you to worship today. I want to say, uh, just want to add my love and appreciation for all of the moms and women who are in our church family. We truly, like Tom said, love and appreciate you so much, and uh, just want to wish you a very happy Mother's Day. Um, I want to say special welcome to someone who is here who has traveled a good ways away, and I haven't even gotten to hug your neck yet. And so you got it coming after the service. I want a big hug. But um, a dear friend in our life who is an incredible mother, um, and I'll explain this in a second, but she's here today. We at ICC love uh, being a part of what God's doing, not only here in Memphis and in our country, but also around the world. And one of the countries that we have been serving in over many, many, many years is the nation of Guatemala, helping to see the church there grow, helping to get behind pastors and church leaders, training them up, encouraging them, helping to meet needs mercifully in the area that still has so much need. And one of the partners that we have worked with down there since the very beginning is a special needs orphanage called Los Gozosos. And the founder of that orphanage and the chief mother of that group of, of, of a wonderful group of children uh, to this day is Maureen Casey. And this morning, Maureen has joined us on her trip here in the state. So welcome, Maureen. Would you stand? Would you stand so we could recognize and honor you? We are so grateful for you, Maureen. And uh, just welcome to Memphis. Welcome to ICC. Welcome home uh, to our church again. It is wonderful to have you back, and thank you. On behalf of our whole church, we want to say thank you for the great love that you have in your heart for the nation of Guatemala and the special love that Jesus himself has called you to, if you know Maureen's story, the special love that he has given you for the fatherless and the motherless of that nation and for how you have opened your heart and you literally have made a home, an ever-expanding home, to take in and to care for these incredible children and to love them with the very love of Jesus and to raise them up uh, with great purpose in the world. So thank you on behalf of our church. We appreciate you. Thank you, Maureen. Um, This morning, if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to get them open to the book of Romans. And this morning, we continue our series in the book of Romans, and we're going to be in chapter 12 today. Chapter 12 of the book of Romans, and I am thrilled. Uh, As you know, or maybe you don't know, uh, last week I had intended uh, to preach the whole of Romans chapter 12, and today I was going to be marching on and preaching Romans chapter 13, and God changed our plans. Um, If you remember last week, about 45 minutes in, I had just finished point one of four. <laughs> and some of y'all know that's actually not abnormal here at ICC. <laughs> but there was a clear leading that I felt from the Lord to just to just allow us to be with Him and in 
in response to that most important point, to, to allow our lives to be marked by full surrender to the Lord. And we had an incredible time of worship last week, an incredible time of worry. We only got through the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. And so today, um, we are, I'm thrilled to be able to go back to Romans chapter 12 to pick up where we left off and to see how God leads us today. My intention is to finish um, the rest of the points from the message last week, so you can consider this a part two of that same sermon, okay? But I also was thinking, wow, Lord, how cool is it that today on Mother's Day, we're gonna have the opportunity uh, to focus on some of the most practical outworkings of gospel-centered life that relate to the very things that I think mothers in our lives and women in our church exemplify incredibly well to us. And so I'm thrilled um, about what God has put on my heart to share this morning. Today, we're gonna be continuing our study of looking at what it looks like to be transformed by God's mercy. Just as a reminder, this section of the book is a section of gospel overflow, okay? Paul has laid these incredible gospel foundations for us in the first eight chapters of the book. He has proclaimed to us the good news of what God is able to do through Jesus Christ to all who trust in him by faith. God loves you. He gave his son for you. It is possible for God to work powerfully in your life to change you, namely to bring you back to him. Your life was given to you by God and your life was given to you for God. Life is meant to be lived in relationship with God. And that is why the gospel is such good news is because God works powerfully in the lives of those who trust in Jesus Christ to bring us back into right relationship with God. And it's all grace. It is all the work that he has done, which is why we call it our series, what? He's done, right? Because it's not about us, it's about him and what he has done for us by his grace and in his love for us in Jesus Christ. But now we're at the end of the book. And what we're looking at here as we turn the corner into chapter 12 is in light of God's mercy, remember last week, in light of all that he has done, what then, what now? And we're in this section where we're looking at all of these overflows and how the gospel changes our everyday life. So if you're taking notes this morning, and I hope you will, essentially you can, maybe if you're here last week, just put part two, continuation, all right? If you're new here, you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and listen online. Um, but the title of today's message is Transformed by God's Mercy. I wanna read the scripture again, the whole of chapter 12. I read from the ESV. And then we will continue in our study together. Starting in verse one. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. 
For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us then use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Oh man, you guys, I am so excited. Anybody excited? Let's dive in, all right? Transformed by God's love. Because today in the passage, I'm telling y'all, if you want real life, I mean like every day, how do I live out in light of the mercy of God? This passage is going to step all over your toes, all right? So you might want to tell your neighbor, watch out. The word's coming for you, all right? Um, because... This passage just reeks of Jesus, and it reeks of the transformation that only Jesus Christ can bring. The only way you could ever live this out is by knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But when you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you will live this out. This is a passage that speaks to gospel living on the everyday. And I'm excited to be able to look at it with you. If you remember our main point last week, and I haven't changed it, all right, it's this. Because of all that God has done so mercifully for us, 
we freely and joyfully give ourselves in love for God and in love for others. In light of his great love for us, in light of his great grace shown to us, in light of the perfect work of salvation he has gifted to us, in light of the Holy Spirit's indwelling in us, in light of his great mercy toward us, friends. If you want to live in light of the gospel, here's what it looks like. You're going to fulfill the great commandment. Remember of Jesus. You're going to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you're going to love others as you love yourself. That's all I'm saying here in the main point. First two verses are all about living a life of love toward God, offering yourself in worship. And in fact, remember point one last week, we talked about this. What does it look like to love God? It looks like living in full surrender, offering yourself. Here I am, Lord. Worship is not just a couple of hours a week on Sunday mornings. Worship is an every moment, everyday thing where we live in love with the Lord and we offer our whole selves to him and he changes us from the inside out. And we talked about this from the, the text and how to do this practically there in verse 2. Not being conformed to this world, but by being transformed by the Spirit of God. So in every single area of your life, you can evaluate. Am I being conformed? Let's say, take your money. How do you spend your money? Does it look like, is it patterned based on the world? Or is it patterned based on God's mercy and His Word and His desires? Let's take area of relationship. Is it patterned on the basis of the world or is it patterned on the basis of God's relationship with you? His love for you, his will, his word, his desires. You can name any single area of your life and you can evaluate this. And see, the Holy Spirit is constantly nudging us closer and closer toward God. That's what the transformed life looks like. So in every moment of every day, in each decision, in each feeling, in each, each behavior, we're offering ourselves. That's what it looks like. We're choosing to turn from self and sin and the fleshly way of thinking, the worldly way of thinking. We're turning from that and we're turning toward God and we're offering him our full surrender. So that's what we talked about last week. Does everybody remember that? Some of y'all weren't here. Will y'all go listen later online? Okay, great. Thank you for your silent agreement. <laughs> um, but today we're going to continue forward. And what I told you is this passage gives us essentially four marks of those whose lives have been transformed by the mercy of God. What will your life look like? How will, you, how will we know if you're in real relationship with Jesus? How will we know if this thing is really rooted in your heart? That you're not just faking your way through the church thing or the religious thing. How will we know when it's really real to you? There's a lot of people who are here this morning, but not everybody who's here this morning, perhaps, is it real. God wants you in a real relationship with him. He wants his mercy to touch and to transform your heart. But for those who it's really real to them, how will we know? And these are the markings. The first one is full surrender. The second one is this humble service. And this is where we left off last week. So I'm going to give you, hopefully today, the last three marks from this chapter. Mark number two is humble service. And by that, for those who are taking notes, what I mean is, we're going to look at in the passage, but here's what, I'm, here's what I mean. For those who are transformed by God's mercy, there's a call to this. To think soberly of yourself. 
and to think soberly of your gifts. Because you know, you know that you know that you know that all of your life is owed to God's grace. All of your life is owed to God's grace. I want to look um, at verses 3 through 8. That's where this comes from. And I'll just start by pointing your attention to this phrase, which is where I'm getting this point. He says, think with what? Sober judgment. Think with sober judgment. Another way that he describes this exact same call onto our lives, this mark of a transformed life, is those who do not think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. So if you want to know what thinking of yourself as sober judgment means, it means that you're not puffed up. You're not thinking too much about yourself. You're not thinking more of yourself than you ought to be thinking. Sober judgment. Now, I think it's interesting to call it a sober judgment because if just a little bit of context before we get into the study of the word. In our culture today, I think probably more than ever before here in the West, we are a culture that is obsessed with self-esteem. We are culture. Now, granted, there is a gospel work that needs to take people who are genuinely low and broken and hate themselves and help them see the love and the grace and the value of God in Jesus Christ that he brings. There is a work, there is, a, there is such a thing as true low self-esteem and a gospel work that is needed to bring you to a place of loving self in a way that Christ loves you. But our culture has blown that out of the water. And there's so much talk today. And I'll give you some examples in a second because y'all all know it happens. There's so much today that is focused on self, 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 self. It's all about me. Anything that makes me feel good, anything I want to do, I get to do. Let it go, let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. That is a, I mean, I love that song. Uh, Elsa came down the stairs last night dressed like Princess Elsa. I mean, Emma. <laughs> Elsa came, Emma came down the stairs last night dressed like Princess. I mean, I, but if you think about the words of the song, it's all about self-expression. And really, it's, in some ways, a lot of self-centeredness. Who cares about everybody else? It's all about me. Layers upon layers of egocentricity are hidden in the messaging of shows and commercials and marketing ads and just the way that we live life online. Let, let's just take a few examples. Social media obsession. The rise of social media has totally fueled self-centeredness. People, you talk to people who work with teenagers in this city and you talk about how they obsess over their image online. How many of us seek validation through how many people like our photos? How many comments we get? How many followers we get? We'll feel good about ourselves. How stupid is this? We will feel good about ourselves when a video goes viral. Or when a photo gets more light, we will feel bad about ourselves when it doesn't get as much attention going, what do, what's wrong with me? Attention-seeking behaviors. 
all the expense of genuine interactions, meaningful relationships, materialism, you guys, and consumerism. See, I told you the word is coming for you this morning, all right? We prioritize personal acquisition, material possessions. We have an excessive focus on accumulating things for ourselves or buying the job on ranch shoes or making sure that we've got the best of the best, luxury goods, status symbols. And again, I'm not saying that these things in and of themselves are wrong, but when they're focused on self and what they're doing for you and how they're making you look and how they're making you feel and how you think others will react when you drive that car or live in that house or wear that particular piece of clothing, it is self-centeredness. We living in worldly thinking, making comparisons. Narcissism, of course, we know is a true psychological disorder. But narcissistic tendencies and overinflated self-importance or need for admiration or lack of empathy for others. Even what you're seeing right now, donkeys versus elephants in the political world. Anybody tired of politics? Good gracious. And you just go, dang, like why are we so, like this, even to this day, like what's going on right now on the federal levels of the debt stuff, people are so far apart. So much of that is just self-centeredness, extreme partisanship, and unwillingness to consider alternative viewpoints, an unwillingness to engage in respectful dialogue or compromise putting personal beliefs and personal agendas above everything else. Look at the celebrity culture today, obsession. Y'all like those real estate shows? Life's uh, real estate in LA or whatever it is? Shame on y'all, all right? I'm just kidding, all right? Okay, I point a finger at you today, three pointing back at me, okay? Look at Netflix, look at Hulu, look at the stuff people are, I mean, just obsession with celebrities. We will overlook gross moral failures, serious mental health concerns in celebrities just because we like the way they play ball or we like the shows that they're on because they're entertaining. Lack of empathy in online interactions. You guys would not believe. You probably would believe. Look at Twitter. It is a mess. The way people treat one another, bullying, anonymous trolling, engaging in online arguments, Work with kids nowadays, and they will tell you they are receiving hateful comments from other elementary school and middle school and high schoolers online. We desperately, friends, need gospel transformation in this area of our hearts and lives. Would you agree? We desperately need to recognize If we're not careful, we're going to get conformed to the world. But God is wanting to do a new work in us to transform us and to renew the thinking of our minds. He's wanting us as his people, changed by his mercy, to live out a different kind of way in the midst of a world that desperately needs to know his light and his life. Transformed by mercy. So what does it look like? It looks like living differently, differently than the world. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not 
Think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment. We need a gospel transformation. We need to remember our Savior, Jesus, who came not to be served, not to make much of himself, but to serve. He came humbly. He came not possessing, not desiring to acquire worldly goods. He came emptying of himself, had even no place to lay his head when it came time to proceed into Jerusalem as a king. He's mounted on a humble donkey. He gave his life serving, not being served, giving away himself, not making it about himself. This is the Jesus who we worship this morning, who we say, he has changed my life. This humble king has changed my life. Oh, really? Has he changed your life? Well, show me your life of humility. Show me your way of service. You you really want to know what it looks like to be transformed by this humble king? Live the way that he is living in you, in humility and in service. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Now, the question is, how do we do this, all right? And and there's two ways to do this on this point, and we'll move to the next one. There's two main ways to do this, and and they're right here in the text. The first way is this. You gotta focus on the gospel. That's what I was just speaking to as you think about Jesus. You gotta focus on the gospel. And I get this straight here from verse three. Think of yourself with sober judgment, how? Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And we're not talking here about the quantity of faith. We're talking about the quality of faith. The faith that saved you. The faith deep in your heart. Do you have a trust in God's grace? Do you have a trust in God's promises? Do you think about yourself, like truly, when you you think about yourself, what is operational in your heart? How do you think of yourself? Are you thinking about yourself in light of the mercy that God has shown you? Are, you? are you remembering yourself in the pit? And are you remembering that he came to rescue you out of that pit? Are you remembering yourself in bondage and he came to bring freedom into your life? Are you remembering yourself in poverty and he gave up his riches so that you who are poor could be rich in him? Are you remembering yourself in your blindness and, and he came to make you see? Are you remembering who you are before Christ? And are you recalling who you are now in Christ? And is your heart filled with gratitude? I'm talking about deeply on a daily basis. Are you grateful for the grace of God? Is God's grace operational in your heart? Is it where you operate from? According to the trust that you have in Christ, Think of yourself with, with sober judgment. Are you remembering? The call of your life is to keep your full attention and your full faith in Jesus Christ. I think about the night that Jesus was with his disciples uh, just before he was betrayed and 
uh, just before he was arrested and eventually crucified. You remember the time that uh, John 13 recounts, verse 12, he had washed, he washed their feet. The disciples had a, mem- had a memory of this, right? I mean, their feet are filthy. And they're coming in for dinner, and somebody's got to wash their feet, and typically a lowly, like the, the bottom of the totem pole worker would come with a towel and basin and would wash their dirty feet. Instead, this night, Jesus stoops himself to serve. They resist. Remember, Peter resisted, and, and, and Jesus goes, dude, if I don't serve you, <laughs> like you don't have anything to do with me. And Peter's like, okay, oh, give me a full bath then, because I'm yours, Jesus. But Jesus served the greatest in the room, the king of all kings, God himself stooped and he served. And the disciples couldn't get over it. It was mesmerizing to them. It was amazing to them that this one who was so great would take off his outer garments, would take on the form of a servant, the lowliest of servants, and he would wash their dirty feet himself. And after he did this, He says, do you understand what I have done to you? John 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. But if I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, so also you ought to wash one another's. For I have given you an example, Jesus said, that you should go and do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. How is it that I can live a transformed life in this area when everybody else in culture around me, all my friends around me, wanting me to make it about myself, keep your eyes on Jesus. You never forget the day that he took off his outer garment and he served you. Never, ever, ever forget that your Lord, your Savior, your teacher stripped it all away that you might have what you needed in your most desperate hour. I will never get over how Jesus Christ served me and still serves me. We gotta keep our eyes on Jesus. And when we keep our eyes on Jesus, what ends up happening is pride just melts away. Because there's no room for pride. That's why Peter was resisting, because he was proud. No, 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 you don't do that. And Jesus was smashing his pride. Oh, yes, I will. Because until we come to a place where we recognize our neediness and the sufficiency of what he gives, we can't really taste of his grace. But after we tasted of his grace, there's no going back. We live forever amazed in the one who loved us and gave himself for us. You got it? So the first thing we do is we we keep our eyes on Jesus. We focus on the gospel. But the second thing we do, okay, how do we, how do we pursue keeping ourselves in sober judgment? How do we see ourselves soberly? The second thing that we are to do is we are to commit to belong and to serve in the local church. 
We are to commit to belong and to serve in the local church. Verse 4 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually we're members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to grace given to us, let's use them. If prophecy in proportion to faith, if service and serving and teaching and teaching, one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, do it with cheerfulness. What is this about? Here's what it's about. What Paul is helping you see in your effort to stay humble and to live out a transformed life, you have got to find ways to seek to understand and appreciate the value and the contributions of other people in your life. You've got to do it. It is part of the work of God in your life to, in the body of Christ. When you belong and when you serve in the body, there's something that happens. There's a work of God that happens in your heart that keeps you humble. And namely, uh, what I'm talking about here is when you start serving in the church, you start realizing, oh, dang, I don't have all the spiritual gifts. When you get, actually take on responsibility in an area that matters in the kingdom of God, I guarantee you Maureen, who's here this morning, could testify to this. I know that many of you who have served in the kingdom and the church could testify to this. When, when God calls you to something and you step into it, suddenly you realize, oh my word, I'm going to have to have a lot of help with this. This is going to have to happen in a way that's more than just about me. There is not a single one of us that has the fullness of the giftings of Christ. God pours out the fullness of his gifting to us, the church. I don't have the fullness of gifting. You don't have the fullness of gifting. I like to think that you need me up here teaching time to time. But I'll tell you one thing. I look out at the church and I go, the reason that this church is who this church is and can do what this church can do is because of the ways that all of us together contribute to the common good. And it is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing to come to your own, to terms with your own limitations and to recognize the way God has designed this is not about all about me. <laughs> it's about we. There are more stories that I could tell about the ways that God has called us into a body and the goodness of that design. There are some people that I absolutely love to sit across a meal with or coffee with because when I sit with them and when I talk with them, they share stories with me and they share words of encouragement with me and, and, and just who they are, their personality, I go, oh my word. I, it's like I'm experiencing a part of God that I myself on the ordinary don't experience. I'm hearing things from God. I'm experiencing things from God. I'm seeing things in a different perspective that are just tremendous blessings in my life. We need one another. Would you agree? 
We desperately need one another. And, and one of the, the ways that God is at work to transform us, to give us a heart of humility is to call us into interdependence. First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 21 to 25 is a reference you can write down maybe for later. He says that I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the ones, and on those parts, excuse me, of the body we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. One of the hallmarks of our culture today is individualism. And I'm concerned sometimes that this attitude has spread to the church where we're tempted to think, coming to church, what's in it for me? To have the attitude of self-centeredness as if it's all about you. But this is sin because God tells us we are not to think like that. It's not about what's in it For me, it's about what God is doing among us. It's about the we. And our call is to bring the ways in which God has gifted and shaped us and to use those things in contribution for the good of others. And as all of us do that together in humility and interdependence, all of us together can have the opportunity to experience more of God. Think of yourself Soberly, that's point number two, humble service. I asked a question of you before we move to point number three. Does this mark your life? Humble service. As people think about you, do they think of one who doesn't make it about themselves, but makes it about the other. It's one of the markings of the mercy of God transforming our hearts and lives is when we take off the outer garment and we we serve. When we're fixed on Jesus to the degree that we're not making much of ourselves. C.S. Lewis once spoke about this issue, and uh, he clearly stated that he knew of no one except for those who have been changed by Jesus Christ who ever admitted to being proud and conceited. One of the primary ways to grow in this area is to come to a place where you can just be honest and go, yeah, like, I do make it about myself. Too much. I don't serve enough. That's a starting place. It's just to acknowledge that you need God's help in this area of your heart and of your life. So, number two, humble service. Number three, 
The third mark that is true of all who have been transformed by Jesus Christ is sincere love. Sincere love. And by sincere love, here's what I mean. We have to let the gospel shape our heart and our action toward other people. Um, This is why I'm like so glad that this sermon happens to be on Mother's Day, everybody, all right? Because I'm like, good gracious, could we ask for more living example of sincere love than in our mothers? What gifts it is uh, to know one who loves sincerely for the good of the other. But what God is calling us to is more than what can be explained between a relationship between a mom and a child. He's actually calling us into a life of this kind of radical committed love, not just with those who make sense to love and be committed to, like our own, but with all people, that we are to be marked by sincere love. Now, what's so interesting is, verse 9, it's kind of the heart of this point. He says here, let love be genuine, all right? Let love be genuine. Now, This statement is gonna frame the rest of what he talks about in this set of verses. And the reason this is so important is because if you look out at the way that the world loves, the world's way of loving is often marked very different than the gospel way of loving. The world's way of loving is often marked by selfishness, it's often marked by self-centeredness, and it's certainly often marked by pride. Let me give you some examples. Our culture loves transactional relationships. Relationships that are primarily driven by, I'm in this relationship because of what it gives me. It's self-gain, self-interest. Engaging with someone else because you're wanting to receive something. It's an expectation that there's like a mutual benefit here, whether it's a social status, maybe it's you need emotional validation. But there's some relationships that are based on transactional kind of love. And all of us are guilty of falling into the world's way on this. There's often in romantic relationships, we see this a lot as shepherds here, even in our church, how sometimes romantic relationships can become battlegrounds for power and control. Instead of fostering mutual love, mutual respect, mutual support, what ends up happening is an individual in the relationship can end up prioritizing their own needs above the desire and desires over the partner's needs. And it could become dominating and it become manipulating and outright devastating. Competitive friendships. Many of us are in schools here. Many of us have classmates and you joke around about things or maybe in your workplace and you joke around about research or you joke around about promotions or salaries or whatever those things are. But deep down, even in friendships, there can be markings of competition where you constantly are comparing yourself to your friends. You're seeking to outdo them. You're seeking to outshine them. You're essentially operating in self-centeredness and in pride. And this undermines the very thing that God would have us to be about in our friendships. Family estrangement and marriage estrangement. Brokenness of relationships due to selfishness, self-centeredness, pride, Many, many times these relationships go awry because one person is holding their own interest above the other, above the family, where there's grudges, there's lack of forgiveness, there's breakdowns and communication and breakdowns and connection 
And genuine love is overshadowed by pride and inability to forgive, to let go of grievances. Social exclusion and prejudice. Many, many times, and workplace politics, this is on the screen too. Many, many times in these settings, lack of love, lack of godliness in the heart can undermine teamwork and collaboration where discrimination and prejudice, social exclusions are so often rooted in the heart where you prioritize your own interest or your own social groups above the actual well-being and dignity of other people. This ought not be so. This is not God's heart and this is not God's way. And God is pleading with us. Come, do not be conformed to this world in the area of your relationships, but let me transform you such that the marking of your relationship with all people is the marking of my merciful relationship with you. Let me change you from the inside out. Let love be genuine. And oh, how desperately we need this love. Would y'all agree? Anybody here want to say that this morning? We need this love. And it's got to be a gospel-shaped love. First John chapter 4, 7 and 8. It's got to be a gospel-shaped love. The word says, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. So what we're calling you to is not a love that you kind of manufacture on your own. We're calling you to surrender, again, full surrender, to God, and to let the Holy Spirit give you his love. You need a love that you can't manufacture. This is why we call it fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit. You can't manufacture fruit. It grows naturally from a tree who has its roots in the ground. See, in our life, the fruit of the Spirit, love, first fruit of the Spirit, has got to come because our roots are deep down in the love of God. The only way for us to bear the fruit of love is to have roots in his love. Beloved, let us love one another. That's the fruit, for love is from God. That's the root. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world. It's not love as you want to define love. God defines love in this. Love is this. Look at how he gave himself for you. He gave his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but he has loved us. And he sent his son as propitiation for our sins. Now, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God's love abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. This is why Jesus said in John chapter 13, 34 to 35, I give you this new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Again, he's calling for the fruit that comes from the root. If you know his love, then you will love as he has loved you. So therefore, he's trying to transform the way that you think about all of your relationships. Love others as I have loved you. Wow. Well, that changes things, doesn't it? That changes things in my friendships. That changes things in my marriage. That changes things in my workplace with my classmates and my competitors. 
That changes things. In every area and nook and cranny of relationship in my life, that changes things. I am to love as he has loved me. And he says, and by this, all people are going to know that you're mine. In other words, Jesus makes this a mark of a transformed life, not me. This is a true mark, sincere love, if you have love for one another. Now, the question is, what does it look like practically? I'm going to give you a quick list. The first one is this. Characteristics of real love. The first one is sincerity. The first one is sincerity. Verse 9. Let love be what? Genuine. Genuine. In other words, um, we're not to be fake. We're not to be phony. Y'all know that like Christian kind of kindness, the Southern, I don't mean like a genuine Christian kindness. I mean the fake Christian kindness where you like smile at people. Oh, hey, how you doing? And you hate them on the inside. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, so good to see you. And you're like, I cannot wait for them to get away from me right now. And you just smile your way through being polite, being helpful. You're warm on the outside, but you're cold as ice on the inside. Has anybody ever been guilty of that? Everyone should raise your hand. All right? Your moms are here, so don't lie. <laughs> Even parents have been, been that way toward their kids. Can I get a witness, parents? You're like, I love you so much. Go to bed. All right? So, this is the thing. It's a veneer. It's a veneer of pleasantness, but it covers over sewage in the heart. God looks not at your polite smile on the outside. God looks upon your heart. And he says, I want your love to be genuine, which is the word for the inside thing. I want you to be so transformed that the sewage that has been there from the past of your selfishness and self-centeredness and sin, that you bring that to me and let me change you by my love for you. God can change our hearts such that we're not faking it anymore, but from our hearts, we really, really love people. One of the primary hallmarks of your life is I know he loves me, and it's real. When he looks me in the eyes, or when she looks me in the eyes, I know that they really love me. Let your love be sincere. Secondly, be tr real love is true to God's will. Real love is true to God's will. Now, this is a big one. He says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. So there's something we should hate, that's the evil, and there's something we should cling to, that's the love. In other words, our love has to operate on the basis of God's word and God's will. We have to hate what God calls evil. We have to love what God calls good. Now, why is this so important? I'll tell you, as a pastor, I look at you in the eyes and I plead with you to be careful with the feelings of love. Because you can feel your way into all kinds of evil. And you can call it love because your heart is emotionally wrapped up with another person. But in your emotional connectedness with another person, the call on your life is not to let that distort your view of what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is sin. We have to abhor what God abhors and we have to love what God loves. And we have to be willing at times and this is going to be hard, but every mom here knows what I'm talking about. you got to be willing to do some tough love. Can I get a witness, moms? 
Okay, that was weak. That was a weak witness. Let me try it again. Can I get a witness? Yeah. All right. You got to love tough. Some people never, ever, ever want to talk to somebody that they love about things that are genuinely concerning in the eyes of God. That's not real love. Real love doesn't let somebody walk over a cliff in blindness without warning them. Love cares enough to say, yo, I'm concerned about this. And I'm talking about it because I love you. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't want to talk to you about it. My, My framework is not what's going to make them happy with me, but what is going to make God pleased. Third, real love is committed for the long haul. Real love is committed for the long haul. I get this from verse 10. Love one another, he says, with brotherly affection. Do y'all see that? With brotherly affection. That's translated from uh, the, the Greek word Philadelphia. It's essentially saying love one another like a blood family. That's what he's saying. Don't think that this is a, a slight on you women, all right? It's like women here going, okay, I got to like do a chest bump or something. Like, no, all right? That's not what we're talking about. It's saying, let your love be the kind of love that's like a family, like a biological family love. Let that be the kind of love that you have. Paul is saying we should love one another as if we're related. Now, family relationships we're celebrating this morning are essential for us. And we would say, we would say, even though my, like my girls, Emma Grace today, she could be screaming in the back for all I know. And we could all hear, let's just imagine the door opens and, every, and Leanne's standing there going, Emma, she's got a problem. And I go, oh, gee, but she's still mine. I still love her. Does that make sense? There's this kind of commitment, like blood family, like we stay together. We might go through some stuff, but we stay together. And what he's saying is real love is long haul love. We're not transactional people. We are covenantal people on the basis of God's covenant to us. He stays with us and stays with us and stays with us. My word, has he put up with some stuff with you? Can I get a witness? And he's still with you. Is he not in Jesus Christ? He is. We ought to grow some thick skin and be willing to put up with some stuff in one another. Commit and love for the long haul. Next, we got to put others first. We got to put others first. This is again verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Here he's saying, similar to Philippians 2 3, in humility, consider other people more important than yourselves. Don't let your love for other people be all about yourself. Put other people first. And one of the best ways you can do this, friends, is learn to listen to people. Take interest in other people. When you sit down across the table from somebody, don't start by talking. Start by listening. My mama used to say, it's Mother's Day, so I'm giving her a lot of credit. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Use it that way, all right? Listen before you talk. Be concerned about their hopes and their joys and their needs and their fears. And be considerate. See people in God's image. See Christ in them if they're a Christian. See God's image in them even if they're not. Concentrate on their needs as more important than your own. Does that kind of love mark you? It should. Do not be self-centered. I'm gonna skip ahead real quick to verse 16. It's similar to what I just said with put others first. Do not be self-centered. 
He says, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with those who are of lowly position. Humble yourself. Don't make your relationships all about you. Christians, I really believe only Christians can live like this. Only Jesus Christ can free you of your obsession with yourself. Even as it means relating to others. Before Christ, all we can do in our relationships is think about ourselves in some ways. Christ changes all of that. He fulfills us completely. We don't need anyone else in our life and he frees us from self-centeredness because all we need, we find in him. Therefore, when we get to somebody else, we're not looking for anything because God has already given us everything. Now, for the first time in our life, we are free. Free to relate to you, not on the basis of what you give me. Free to relate to you on the basis of what Christ has given me and what I desire now to give you. That is a transformed life. Freedom from self. Next on our list from the scripture is real love is patient and long-suffering. Real love is patient and long-suffering. He says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. I wanna go ahead and combine verse 12 into this. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. God calls us to have a kind of long-suffering heart toward everyone that we relate to. He calls us to live in surrender to God and deep trust in his work in another person's life. One of the things that you get to be is hopeful as you relate to other people. You don't wanna know why? Because Jesus Christ is alive from the dead. (laughs) He lives today and he dispenses mercy to all who trust in him. We get to be a hopeful people. We can rejoice in hope and we can be patient in the midst of trouble. Some of y'all, we have relationships that we are going through some stuff. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And God's call in our life in love is to be patient as God has been patient with us. And to take those desires that we have for other people in our life and to not seek to control those other people or not to be angry at those other people or not to be bitter at those other people or to lash out at those other people or to think the worst of those other people and to say things like, you're never gonna change. But rather, to take those things to the Lord because our battles are not of flesh and blood with other people. Our battles are in the spiritual realm. And the things that other people need are not our control, our manipulation, our demands. People need their hearts changed by God. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. And last but not least, real love is demonstrated in tangible actions. Real love is demonstrated 
intangible actions. There's a list of things here in verses 12 to 16. Verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight. There's a place in 1 John where he says, brothers, let us not wear love with word and tongue. Let us love with deed and in truth. In other words, he's saying, if you want to know what real love looks like, it's got to be more than just a feeling. God didn't just love us from heaven and go, oh, I just love him so much. I just love him, I love him. But God, how do we know you love us? Romans 5, 8 God's love was demonstrated. In other words, he put action to his heart. God's love is demonstrated in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he's saying, if you want to love, don't just tell people, I love you. Show up for him. Do what's needed. When they're going through stuff, be with them. When they're happy, be happy. When they're sad, be sad. When they have needs, help them. If you want to know what real love looks like, you've got to get out of the realm of just feelings and talk. You've got to get into the trenches of actually showing up and working it out. Real love, sincere, true to God's will, committed for the long haul, putting others first, not self-centered, patient, long-suffering, and demonstrated in tangible actions. This, Jesus says, This is the new commandment that he gives to us. Love as I have loved you. And by this all will know that I love you. And that you are my disciples. By the ways that you love one another. The question I'm asking now. I'm going to close with this point. I'm going to pick up the next one next week. It works well with Romans 13 anyway. You see what I'm doing? I'm just trying to bait you. Keep coming, all right? We'll just continue. And eventually we'll finish Romans. Hopefully it'll be by August. Um, we'll push the whole summer series on a few more months. No, it, it'll, it's truly going to be fine. Robbie's freaking out in the front row. I got it. I can't think of, I mean, just what a gift on Mother's Day to be thinking about love. And I want to honor the love that all of our moms have and our women have in our church. But today on Mother's Day, the worst thing I could do is make it only about you. And I know you wouldn't want that either because there's a greater love than even any of our moms demonstrate to us. And it's the love that Jesus Christ has in his heart for us and the love that he has demonstrated to us and his coming for us and his living for us and in giving himself for us. There is no greater love that you'll ever know than the love of Jesus Christ. And our moms do reflect that in some beautiful ways, but they can't show it to us in full. He loves us. Yeah, we can see humble service in our families. We can see sincere love in our families, but I'm calling you to look at Jesus Christ and see the most humble service and the most sincere love that you've ever known. And I'm asking you, see, what what the gospel teaches us is that 
if we know Jesus in these ways, they're going to show him in these ways in our life. And I'm asking you, how do your relationships look? I really mean this. How do your relationships look? And as we think about the ways that Jesus has loved us, it's overwhelming. You look at this list in Romans chapter 12 and you just go, ultimately, this is, this is about Jesus. He offered himself fully in surrender. Totally surrendered and, and to the point of death to the Father's will. He gave himself to the church. He loved us with genuine love. He didn't love with word and action. He, he didn't love with pretense. He came loving you sincerely. Jesus hates what is evil and he loves what is good. He died to make evil people good. Jesus loved all who came to him in the same way, literally the same way. His mom got upset about it. Like, seriously, I'm not special here? He's like, mom, you're special, you're my mom, but I came for everybody. I didn't come to just love a special little group of people who are easy for me to love. I came to love all people, and I want to treat all people in the same way that I treat my own family. Jesus was dishonored so that we would be honored. Jesus was a man who had zeal. He rejoiced in hope. He endured in tribulation. He was constant in prayer. He was generous, was he not? He gave up everything that we might have everything he showed us hospitality. He ate, he dined, he drank with sinners. He welcomes us to his table. He loved his enemies. Father, forgive them from the cross. They know not what they do. He brings people together. He associates with the lowly. He's not about himself. He died between two criminals. For you. If you know Jesus, then you will show Jesus. If you know him in these ways, if you're, the roots of your heart are down deep in who he is and what he does for you in his mercy, then what will seep out into the fruit of your life will be these very things. And I'm asking you, how do you need to grow? Starting point this morning is saying, God, I need you is recognizing areas where you need to change and bringing them to Jesus and saying, I'm sorry, I'm not done growing yet. Lord, here are the areas of my heart and life that I want to yield to you. Oh, Father, would you help me not to be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Would you change me from the inside out? Can we all pray that today? Father, I am asking, Lord, that as we respond to you today, that you would do a work in our hearts. Father, I am so thankful for the great love that you have for us. And Lord, I am so desirous to live out that love to a world that desperately needs to know you. Father, we ask your forgiveness for the many, many ways Lord, we have fallen into sin, selfishness, self-centeredness. 
Lord, the ways that we've made it about us, that we've considered ourselves better than other people, that we've forgotten, Lord, that we need you and we need one another. For the ways, God, that we've wanted other people to pay attention to us when you've, <laughs> you've called us out of the fullness of what you've offered us just to, just to be about giving of ourselves away, surfing, washing other people's feet as you've washed ours. Lord, forgive us for the ways in which we have not loved as you have loved us. And fill us, Lord, with your love. We're coming to you today afresh with our hearts. We're asking for our families. We're asking for our church. We're asking for our workplace. We're asking for our school campuses. We're asking, Lord, for our neighborhoods, for our relationships with friends, for our relationship with lost people around this community. We're asking for the nations. God, would you fill us with your love? Holy Spirit, would you do a work in us that we can't do? The altar's open as we sing this song. There's prayer counselors who are coming now. They'll be available. Use this time to respond to God. You can stand, you can sit, whatever you want to do, but let's just continue to just invite the Holy Spirit to give us love, humility, service, hope, Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.